I already I turn it off now. No, no, you gotta wait. You sound low. Low You You didn't know that was there. No. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that makes me so happy. <laughs> I'm so angry right now. <laughs> Perfect way to start this off. Comrades and friends, uh, I understand now after listening to some honest feedback uh, that I've alienated a lot of folks. Uh, I got to tell you, I, I don't care. Uh, everybody needs to grow up. Um, that's my little public service announcement for today. Uh, we're here in the shadow of Rockford Tower. Uh, this is your Highlands Bunker for the week. Our uh, guest tonight is Jessica Rain. Uh, Jess is a community activist and a hero who's going to be managing Chris Coons' retirement account. We're going to be transitioning him from the Senate into private life, where he'll use his gore riches to probably buy propaganda in the news journal. Uh, big shout out to Greg and Two Stones. While Spurs uh, are depleted, uh, my stock of Pilsner is uh, refreshed. Thanks for the Pilsner, Two Stones. Much appreciated. Uh, and just as a little historical marker for this episode, Godspeed to Joe Biden tonight in Los Angeles, uh, Las Vegas for the debate. Uh, I hope you drag Bloomberg's ass through the dirt. <clears throat> He's your rival, so go get him, Joe. Um, so to start off tonight, I just wanted to talk about two stories I read. I think they might um, have some salience in our conversation. Um, the first one was um, a story that I actually saw from the Inquirer that, that you had sent out from your campaign this morning um, about um, the potential state incentives from Delaware of $4.5 million to Amazon at the new Boxwood Road um, facility. Whatever, facility, whatever you want to call it. I grew up over there, so it's always yeah. the GM plant to right. me, but whatever that's going to be. Um, I did call DEDA today based on the number nice. you put out. Um, left my, my thoughts. Um, so we're going to be watching that because I don't think Amazon needs $4.5 million of our money. Um, but the other story that, that really struck me today in the news journal, uh, the headline said four found dead in a tent at a homeless camp in Stanton. And, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit with Matt Meyer when he was in here and, you know, you know, maybe this Amazon deal gets put on the agenda next Monday. You said it, it might right, be. We it's don't. Not there. It's. <laughs> we don't know <laughs> you look yet. At the agenda and it, it says it's subject to change, but they're not actually. Right. We don't. We don't know what on. they're going to talk about, mm -hmm. and so there's this idea that you know maybe on Monday the state's going to talk about, um, you know, put, putting incentives into Amazon's pocket for four and a half million dollars. Meanwhile, you know, a week beforehand, four people died in a homeless mm -hmm. encampment in the woods. And it really just strikes sort of what what it is we're doing. Here. Right. Um, that we would consider giving that money to a multi-billion dollar corporation when we could potentially be housing these people who are dying in the woods because they can't afford a home on their own. Yeah. And, and the worst part is that we're told that like there's nothing like this is just how it works. Right. Like, we're supposed to just accept the idea that this is what it is. There's nothing you can do unless you do it by the rules that we set. We can't address any of this stuff. Yeah, I actually got a call from someone who works in, I believe, manufactured housing and wanted to talk to me about the campaign. And 
just kept saying it's so complex. Housing is so complex. Housing is so complex. I was just recently at an event where people were talking about homelessness and how do we make sure that people who are homeless get counted in the census? How do we make sure that we treat these, we make these people into homes and, and, and what can we do for them? And it's like, we can give them homes. That's not complex to me. Now, maybe we have to figure out how to do that. I'm not saying that that's that part simple, but like, can we just agree that we should give people homes before we get into this is complex, we don't know what to do? Um, you did have that conversation with Matt Meyer about people getting vouchers and not being able to use them. That is a clear indication that we don't have enough housing for people. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I've fr framed the, the, the argument this way, and I think this might have been in another episode too, but like, one of the, one of the, the, the lines of demarcation I make between like even progressive candidates is, you know, there's this idea that if you make a plan, and you say, if you take a little bit from here and you do this and you convince these people to cut that and you rearrange this thing and you create these vouchers or you create this incentive or you do this tax break and then you do this and do that. And this, we could probably make it work, you know, for half the people. Right. But people start talking about that before they've convinced anyone that we we just need to solve this problem. Yeah, do we agree on what we're trying to do? do? Right, do we agree because like right now we agree that right. we agree that we should be having a discussion at a state mm -hmm. meeting about possibly incenting 5 million dollars to Amazon yep. while people die homeless yep. in the woods. Exactly. Now, until we until we convince people that that's something we can't sleep at night about, I don't see any reason to develop a plan. Yeah. Right, because I don't want to be working towards guaranteeing every single one person a home. While the person I'm trying to work with is maybe okay with guaranteeing, you know, 30% of people at home. Like, that is, those are different goals. And I think that's where we actually have to get on the same page. And, like, those are the values that I think we should be championing as a country. Like, don't tell me that this is a complex problem and I don't understand it, which is what I've now been told. Yeah, I mean, I've told people it's, that. Like, like, Nathan I Robinson says the same this. thing. You can, walk, <laughs> you can walk on a fancy uh, block, a couple of blocks and in uh, New Orleans and there's you know fancy um, apartments and, and, and old mansions that have been made into like condominiums and everything and then two blocks away you know dozens of people mm -hmm. sleep out on the street mm -hmm. now until you convince somebody that that's absurd there's really no point in developing a plan to solve it because actually the there's really no there's really no desire to solve it at all no it's nibbles around the edge right because people will have to People will have to, I think, confront. It requires confronting in your mind something that people don't want to. Uh, they don't want to face it. Right, or they're, or they think that the way it has to be is that there have to be haves and have-nots. And I question that premise. Like they think it's okay that some people maybe just are going to live in either without a roof over their head, or they're going to live in a home that makes them and their kids sick or that they can't really afford or their landlord refuses to take care of. And like, that's just the way it's gonna be and that we can't solve that problem. And I really challenge us to be better than that. Yeah, that's the idea. Right. So let's 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 start at the beginning because that's <laughs> like the start. Um, where did you grow up? What was it like? Yeah. Um, what were, were your parents like? What was the town like? Like how was, what was that like? I grew up in a small suburban town in uh, Orange County, New York. So I grew up in a town called New Windsor. Um, I grew up near West Point and along the Hudson River, which 
still when I drive home, like up the New York State Thruway, there's like a point where the mountains kind of show up again. And I'm like, oh, yeah, topography. <laughs> like, Not I really, everything's so flat. You know, I, I love it here, but I miss the mountains every so often. Um, yeah, I'm the oldest of three girls. And interestingly, we are very spread out. So it's kind of funny. There's five years between myself and my closest sister and then another seven years to my next sister. So 12, you're 12 years older. I'm 12 years older than my youngest sister. People are always like, oh, did your parents get divorced? I'm like, no, same parents. They just, I think my mom really wanted to have a ton of kids and my dad was like, I'm good with one. And then she just had to keep convincing him to like have the next one. And that's how long it took. Took him about a dozen years to break him down (laughs) to the next one. Exactly. Um, Yeah, my family's great. I grew up in a really big family, like extended family one of those families where it's like uh it's so-and-so's cousin you know yeah. but like not really <laughs> like so everyone's your yeah, uncle somebody said you know cousin like that was way. yeah that was our community we took care of those people my my uncle like lived with us for a while which was kind of great like it's funny looking back because my parents had me when they were 23 years old which seems insane to me now and when i look back at that i'm like oh that's why it always kind of seemed like we were having so much fun because you guys were literally kids. Like when my uncle moved, my uncle couldn't afford his own place and like was trying to move out of my dad's parents' place. And he decided like, okay, I'm going to come live with you. And he actually worked with my dad for a while. My dad started his own um, small business installing alarm systems in people's homes. So like I look back on those and I was young, but I have these flashes of like my uncle just basically being this like weird older brother because <laughs> he was like college aged. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I have like... a similar, a little bit of a similar experience because my parents were young too. They were 20, I guess my pop was 24 and yeah. my mom was 23, 23, 22, something like that. Like pretty young. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I'm 10, but they were like, they're like 32. <laughs> exactly. So like we're partying. Right. I, don't, I don't know what you're yeah. doing. <laughs> no, it's amazing. So like, I think we grew up in like a really fun and lively household for that reason. Like, my uh, i've been to so many concerts just because like my parents took me like the, i think the first concert i went to was like maybe like i think i actually went to the, an alban brothers concert in the womb <laughs> and maybe one when i was also two i saw like metallica and like van halen multiple times so like they just took me because they wanted to live their lives and i think i got like such an awesome experience because of that um but yeah so that's that's where i grew up and How'd you find your way to uh, to the uh, the first state? Yeah, the, so the, uh, via college. Okay. So I, I went to college at Syracuse University, and I met my now husband there. Who, shout out, Bill. Shout out, Bill. Best guy. Um, we we actually met like I don't know with three months left of his senior year of college, and got along super well. But I kind of assumed like, okay, you're going to graduate, and this will be great. But Somehow decided to like stay together through the summer, stay together his first year of law school and my last year of college. Did and he stay at law school at Syracuse? He, he went to Villanova, Villanova, came down here. Okay. So he He's originally back. from Wilmington, right, so, so he came, he came kind, a little more local. Right. And I kind of feel like I joke that like I kept waiting for it to like not really work. Like worry, like, you're 20 years old, like there's no way this is going to work out, right? But we actually just uh, celebrated our 15th anniversary. So we've stayed together and we... After college, after I graduated and he was in law school, we moved to Philadelphia. But I graduated like right before the recession. So I graduated college in 2006 and took me a bit to like get a job. Like I got a few unpaid internships where I still had to like wait tables or work at like a retail store to actually be able to pay my rent. 
And we then, try not to uh, discuss too many unpaid internships yeah. with Carl here. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. We'll Don't, get there. We're, do, we're doing our best. Uh, we'll get more patrons, right? We're trying. <laughs> we're trying. This will probably be a good place for a plug. We'll put it yeah. in. We'll put yeah, it in yeah. later. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I've had my fair share of those unpaid internships. Um, and then got a full time job working at like a digital marketing agency, but that was like right before recession. As that recession was starting work dried up that job dried up and i got to a point where i really couldn't find a job and couldn't afford to pay my rent and anything so i had to move home so in like 2008 right basically when the market crashed i moved home and (laughs) was like okay two years out of college haven't really started my life not really sure what to do so bill was Um, still at bill stayed bill was graduated so he was okay so he was just right taking the bar and doing all that stuff trying to get get his uh law career off the ground so we both really kind of came out into some of the worst uh economy and yeah but i was lucky that i was able to move home my parents had space for me and i was able to move there again kind of worked in retail for a bit just to find something and got another job working in new york city but couldn't afford to live there like was making maybe $37,000 at a job in New York City. And like, you could could, uh, pay rent for six months, maybe. (laughs) Right. Maybe if I did nothing else. Yeah. So I didn't eat. Yeah. If I didn't eat, which I ended up mostly not eating while I was there. Um, So I commuted. I commuted from my parents' house. I got on a bus and I took the bus into the city from from upstate. From upstate every day. And it was, I got on the bus at 640 in the morning to get to work on time (laughs) like it was terrible um but i was just trying to do anything you know to like again start building this career that i thought i was going to be set up for coming out of college and then i got laid off (laughs) so in 2010 i was like for again now four years out of school feeling like i'm still haven't been able to start my life and that was really the point where bill and i had like our sit down we're like okay we've been living apart for a couple years where do we think our future is going to be and and Delaware was where that future was and it was where I was able to actually find a job again and found a we had an apartment at the time and and then bought our house and now we've been here I've been here 10 years and this is where we've chosen to build our life nice yeah yeah I think it's important just because um I've been listening to a lot of uh, AOC interviews for some other stuff that we're working on and she's made a bunch of points about people who just have regular people experiences yeah. you know they don't go they don't go to um you know ivy league schools their their parents maybe be are able to help them if they stumble but you know like i lived at home after school for a, a, a yeah. period of time same thing yeah um but th- those people seem to have more in touch with like the community yeah because they're like oh i see i sort of see what's going on yeah rather than people who are just oblivious to it or or they or they their perspective the way they experience it is from a whole nother perspective and i think that that that's actually the thing that like what did i say earlier about like facing something that you don't want to face when you have that perspective it's more it's even more difficult yeah you know because you don't know like you know maybe you know maybe chris coons you know rode a bus an hour and 45 minutes one way to go to a job where he made you know, $35,000 a year, but I doubt it. Mm-hmm. I yeah. doubt it. And I think that has been really relevant to running for office. Like I was canvassing in Riverside a couple weekends ago and two women invited me in to sit in the living room and we just talked about like 
I, I don't even know how we got there, but I was talking about that, like working in those jobs where you are abused. Like I, I, I don't talk about this that openly all the time, but like I'm trying to talk about it more because I don't know, particularly after like Me Too stuff. But like my first job, I was 15 years old and I was sexually assaulted by my manager, like at work. Like in a retail and, job? Yeah, in a retail job. And like, I had nobody to protect me. I had nobody I could go to to talk to about that. Like, and this is why I actually have become, I think, increasingly like pro-union, pro-workplace democracy, because like that's particularly like when you're a young woman in the workplace, like I experienced stuff like that at every single job, pretty much until I just got some power in the workplace and then recognized that's what was at play the whole time. Like sexual harassment, being underpaid, being paid less than the guy who's sitting right next to me who's doing the exact same job. Like I've been through all of that. So I was talking about, or just even like not knowing what your schedule is gonna be like next week and being on call so that when your friends are going out or your family's going out, you can't go because you can't be too far from like where you might need to get called in to work this $8 an hour job. Like, and having that perspective is, gives me the ability to actually talk about the problems that people are facing. And I think that's what has become most important in this campaign is being able to actually call out the problems that people are facing and, and make it clear that it's not their fault that they're facing that problem. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, that's like a huge hurdle is this idea that there's a cohort of, of people who have a lot of power and prestige and affluence. And when you talk to them about like minimum wage and like, oh, that well, that's just for kids. Yeah, now, that's gross. Now, they know that that's not true. <sighs> but the f I'm not sure. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I don't know. I don't know if they don't know. My guess is that they the, the system is 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 designed for them to be able to very easily ignore mm -hmm. that a lot of people are are living that way yeah like you know you hear people talk about well you know the economy is actually doing real great and the jobless is this and these mm -hmm. statistics are this I'm like, but half of people make I'm like eighteen thousand dollars or less yeah i mean the minimum wage is eight dollars yeah yeah like what do you how do you think people are living? Like, I really that's pick on. Good? I really pick on the idea that that's for kids as well because one, it's not true. Correct. But the majority of people who are working in minimum wage not, jobs are not just teenagers, and two, it it shows a real, it shows the lens through which they look at the world because there are a ton of teenagers who have to work to help pay the rent. Correct. To be able to put gas in their car if they have one, or pay for their food, or help their mom out. Like there are a ton of teenagers who are working not just because they want to go to the movies on the weekend or whatever experience that you had growing up. Like there's, especially in our state where we are paying this training wage and teenage wage, like it's appalling. And we're basically just saying, because you're younger, you don't deserve the yeah, same wages it's, it's, for doing the same again, work. It's a perspective. I said this, like, I think with the Stephanie Barry, because she's running on this issue because mm -hmm. she's running against someone who's terrible on it. Yeah. And it's like, even if I... Even if I took your little cutout as a as a point, and like it's a training wage, or it's a, because of it's young people, like that doesn't give you the right to exploit their labor. No, absolutely. Like whatever they're doing for you, like Still I don't has understand. Value. Yeah, like you're you're <laughs> taking the surplus value, little Marxist uh, labor <laughs> exactly. theory labor exactly. theory of value for you, everybody. Um, like, yeah, I mean you're still taking it. So like, what? It's just some excuse to, for you to be able to say, well. 
The bourgeois people that I know, their kids who go to Tattnall, they just work part time to be able to get a beach house in the summer. Mm -hmm. So that's fine. Right. Uh, but it's not fine. No. That's not really what's happening. That's a story no. that you tell yourself. And that contributes to all of the other problems that we see in our city and our state. So like when I am knocking on doors and talking to voters, they're not and they're and they want to talk about crime or violence in their neighborhoods or nearby. The last thing they ever say is we need more policing. They say these kids need prospects and they need economic prospects and they need academic prospects. And when you I literally just had this conversation this weekend like and and I think being able to call this out is important to our campaign like if you show a kid the option of making like whatever it is eight dollars eight dollars and fifty cents whatever at like McDonald's as his option or selling drugs and making maybe a couple hundred dollars a day like I'm sorry <laughs> like who's gonna make who's gonna choose the McDonald's job not where you're gonna be people. treated terribly where you're maybe not gonna get hours that you need where you're maybe even working in un, like still unsafe conditions. Maybe not. I know it's not the same, but like you're still being treated terribly and you might actually need that money to help out your family. Like you might be a teenager who has your own kid and need to take care of that kid. So we need to actually give young people better economic and ap academic prospects if we have any chance of saying that like we can change the problems that we're facing in our city. So. I'm I'm interested in I know, I know you did some community work here in Wilmington and in Delaware mm -hmm. beforehand uh, with Girls Inc. And, and I think you were with another you did some I volunteered work. at the West End Neighborhood House uh, for yeah, a bit. Paul, yeah, our friend Paul. What, what was that? Ex what was that like? Because I grew I actually grew up in that sort of in that neighborhood. Yeah. I went to St. Anthony, so I'm familiar with yeah. the West End, like in Little Italy. So I'm always interested in what that looks like. Yeah, I I that was one of the first things I did when I moved here. Was like, okay, what can I do to give back be involved in the community like i didn't i knew i moved here and i knew my husband so i was look, looking for other ways to get connected and, and feel like this was my my place in my home so what i did there was basically tutoring and mentoring for kids after school and they have they have so many programs there and it's it's an awesome center but what i focused on was tutoring one student for an entire school year um twice a week in reading so my mom is actually a reading and a speech teacher. And um, one thing that she's told me and science tells us is that if you don't get reading by third grade, like you're kind of in trouble. Like they say up to third grade, you're learning to read. And then after that, you're reading to learn. So if you haven't mastered that skill by then, like you're just going to keep falling behind. So I actually tutored a third grader who started the year by like, just being like, no, I don't have any reading work. Like, and just like lying to me about the homework he had. He always wanted to do his math homework, never a problem there, but never wanted to do his reading homework. And that's kind of where we started the year. And he was super shy, like wouldn't really talk to me, but watching him completely change through the course of that year was just awesome, right? Like got to a point where he's confiding in me, telling me what's going on in his life, about his mom, about like what's stressing him out. Like he's eight, but things stress him out, you know, of course. like he's got a, he's got a lot going on in his world too. And, and the fact that he got comfortable enough to tell me about that stuff, to ask me for advice for that stuff while we're doing all this homework basically was awesome and, and kind of codifies my belief in those types of programming and intervention. And when you give people, if you have 
teachers who can focus on students in smaller classrooms so that you can get this one-on-one -on -one instruction, it obviously makes a difference. So he went from, you know, hiding his reading homework from me to I gave him a chapter book at the end of the year. And then over the summer, he sent me a letter to like tell me he had read it. So like that is, that just, I think to me proves that when we actually focus on the individual needs of a student and show that we support them, that we're there for them, and we are, we consistently show up for them, we can actually make a difference in like their education. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something we talk about in here a lot is, um, just that the, the, the system allows for, a, I look at it as a class-based thing, but mm. it's a lot of things like mm. you just, <clears throat> there's a certain percentage of folks who are just going to get pushed in the margins mm -hmm. and sort of we just accept that. Yeah. And until you sort of do work like that, I've done similar things. And until you sort of do work like that, you're like, oh, wait, I see what we're doing. Um, Yasser Payne was in here saying something similar. Like if you reach out and, and give people um like a real opportunity not like we're just going to give you the bare minimum so we can say that we did it like give them the opportunity everybody gets most people are like yeah I'd, yeah I'll, I'll do that um but there's no trust there there's no trust there for good reason because you know, nobody really looks at it like that and it goes through you know whether it's education for kids or whatever it is um, we do it with policing um, we do it with other kind of funding housing we do it mm -hmm. with um yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I, f I feel like I'm, all, I'm always going off on a very pessimistic uh, <laughs> but I'm um, trying to shed that. I know. I, I'm like naturally, I think that, I don't know, I feel like, I don't know, cynicism in general, I think particularly from people who are more comfortable or more well off has gotten us to a lot of the place that we are. And yeah, like kind of just being like, well, that's the way it is. Eh, what do you expect better? <laughs> it's like, you know, like that attitude. Yeah. And or just, real like, like nihilistic. Like yeah. the internet's very bad for that yeah. too. Just making that's like true. nihilistic stuff. That's like, true. oh, I make, a, make like a real, just a nihilistic joke about something or like that. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's like. And I think that's like my, my default mode, but I've really, I don't know. That's changed for me in the last few years where I've tried to be like a little more idealistic and a little more focused on like the positive change we can actually make because <laughs> i don't know how i don't know how to survive otherwise <laughs> you uh, know yeah i mean it, a lot of it has to do with people coming together we talk about it in here this sense of solidarity mm -hmm. because it's very hard to come to that it's even if you recognize it through the work that you're doing yeah i felt this way myself it's very hard to follow through on that and say, and this is something I want to get into, like how you got talked into doing something this important. <laughs> but like, it's very hard to take the experience and then translate that into real, real action yeah. unless there's a spirit of solidarity and you know that people are doing it with you. Yeah. And it's a movement. Sort yeah. Of, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so when you, when, you, when you have the perspective that you're talking about and then you translate that into, oh, these people want to work on a campaign and these people want to do yeah. this kind of thing. And there's a sense of solidarity. Then you really are empowered to go and do it. Yes. And I think that going back to almost what I was talking about with like these terrible working conditions that I had from the beginning of my career in life, not even career, literally when I was 15. Like, I think that so much of our experience has been individualized that you always think you're going it alone. And that's done with intention, right? Of course. Like that's that why, is I mean, this is why everybody's anti union. Because yeah. when you come together, people have a spirit right. where 
if you separate it, you're very vulnerable when you're alone. Exactly. And I felt that vulnerability and I think it actually caused me to lean into it in some ways to be like, I'm in competition with the people that are standing beside me. I need to like get ahead of these people rather than being like, we're all in this crap together. Like, how do I how do I talk to you about your experience and figure out if we're actually sharing and like a potentially negative experience here and we can maybe fix it together. And I think I've, it took a while for me to get out of that. And, and part of what shifted it is honestly, some of the way, <clears throat> how I was involved with the girls Inc fighting back against the state cutting grant aid in 2017, because that was like, for me, one of the first times that I saw a ton of people come together and it actually make a difference. And that kind of like flipped a switch in my head where like all these nonprofits showed up at like hall to be like, no, you cannot take all this funding. Like stop constantly trying to harm the most vulnerable people in our state every time you run into a problem. And that was my first firsthand experience of that. And I think that's in hindsight, like started to shift the way that I looked at everything to be like, oh, hmm. This does work. We're not all just like in yeah. our bubbles trying to like individually do better for ourselves. Again, perfectly by design, right? They, yeah. pit, they pit one against the other and it's like, well, the conditions here are, you know, relatively atrocious depending on whether maybe you're in retail or um, service and it's really bad or maybe you're in a corporate job and it's actually compensated well. But the fact of the matter is that there's exploitation all up and down. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the trick is they tell you, well, <clears throat> if you give me more, if you, if, if you, if I can drive you harder, you can, it'll be a little bit better for you and you'll be better than the 10 people. Right. And you'll, right. as you said, you know, you're, you're, you're actually working, they're, 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 they're manipulating you mm -hmm. and exploiting you to work a little bit harder. So it's a little bit better and everybody else is in the shit. Right. When actually, you're, like you said, you're all yeah. in the shit. Yeah, we're still in the We're all, all in the shit together. Yeah. Yeah. We still have no control over our own <laughs> No, destiny. we have no control over our own lives. There's nothing democratic about no. it. You know what? I, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I was doing some research for work the other day, and um, I was looking into, like, I work in marketing, and I was trying to read about personalization and, like, does this really make a difference? But I read this blurb that was like according to psychology today consumers like personalization because it makes them feel like they're in control it's really an illusion and they have no control over their lives and you're just like it like stopped me in my tracks because it's like yeah that is the only control that people really have in their life anymore is like consumerism what yeah. you have control sort of over what you buy and very little else did you <laughs> did you watch the uh, the series mad men when it was on television? on and off yeah like, on and off because that was that was an ad business, but it was the ad business like in the fifties and sixties mm -hmm. through the seventies right. through that time, and it was um, one of the themes was exactly that. That what you're being sold is a story that's not true. Mm -hmm. It's separating you and making you an individual person to feel this story, mm -hmm. but also it's also isolating. Yeah, it's extremely isolating. Yeah. Um, it was yeah, just I so think funny. about that. They all put the time. it right out there, like it's an illusion. Yeah, they have no fake. control. It's, it's all, it's all <laughs> fake. Like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah, it's all. Yeah, it's just yeah. manipulation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's wild stuff. All right, so now we got to get into it. We got to get in. We got to. We got to different. We got to differentiate uh, you from from Chris Coons. Okay. But the first thing we have to do is find out, like, 
how you got talked into doing this in the first place. <laughs> now, because I'm just interested because obviously, <clears throat> you know, I know a lot of people who um, are supporting you, working on your campaign, doing different things, and we're all kind of doing it. Um, but did you, were you keen or were you sort of talked into it? How did, how did it go? I'm, I'm so yeah, interested. That's a, it's like one of those decisions where it's like really slow and then fast. You know, like, yeah, real slow and then all at once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I think you know, Bill can attest to the fact that I've been talking about running for something for probably four or five years, and d debating whether that's really the way to like enact the change that I want to see. Um, I think that sort of the involvement that I had with nonprofits and then getting on the board of a nonprofit was to try to make some of that change. But then it's really just for the vision that I think I have is too individual. It's too um, trying to work still within the same system. So that did not scratch that itch, right? Like it's still like, yes, I'm doing better by these girls that are in this programming, but we're talking about a few dozens of people. And what about the people who are just too far away to actually come here and get these services? Like it didn't, didn't have the, the broad reaching impact that I feel driven to make. So it had been kind of bubbling in my mind and then um, I think just being vocal about like my opinions on things like put me on some people's radar. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I happened to be I happened to work with someone who was able to connect me to people that wanted to run a campaign. So it was like just talk to them, just talk to them. And I was like, no, I'm not I'm not gonna have that conversation. <laughs> like, no. And you know, it's kind of that thing where you say no like two three times, and you're like, all right, fine, I'll have the conversation, and then. I think the fact that I recognized that there were people who were also super passionate about the same things I were, like was passionate about, excuse me, um, that I would be really well supported through it and that it wouldn't, that there were people who knew how to get this up and running, which I absolutely did not, yeah. was like the difference maker. Yeah, my experience with, with a lot of the same people that you're talking yeah. about is like no one's really talked into it. They have, they have like a, a fire to do something mm -hmm. and then there's an organization there to be like oh i know i know what right. you can do right and then they tell you and they're like what and you're always like i don't know if i should do this right and they're like but all of these people want you to do it but then they tell you yeah we will fight for you right and then and then they do yeah you know they do yeah um that's yeah i mean i've that told structure that, is important right like it's, it may be the most important right thing. like i said we we're going back to the solidarity like you can't you can't feel motivated to join a movement unless there's a movement mm -hmm. you know um, that I've told uh, you know, many candidates this. I'll t tell you the same thing. I, I probably already told you. <laughs> um, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, anybody who steps up to be sort of a figurehead of the movement or like a, a focal point is going to be a candidate, say, or do something like this. Like everybody has to get behind that 100%. We're, we leave nobody in the field. Yeah. Like no one ever 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 in this movement is is going to be feel alone like you would feel if you were in a corporation right how they try to make you feel as an individual by yourself mm -hmm. trying to do it by yourself and confused and alone yeah whether it's uh, eugene or carrie or you or anybody uh, uh, medina or whoever um even even people who are elected officials now that you know will the ones that will talk to me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like the, the idea is that there's a way of doing things that's obviously phony. 
uh, it's corporate. It's trying to get, you know, you know, trying to move up the ladder. Yeah. You know, do this, do that. It's all, right. that's all funny. I, I'm not doing this for ambition's sake. <laughs> right. And I've said this before. Like, if you're doing something, if the reason that you're in politics is to, like, get a promotion or to look good in front of um, leadership so then you can maybe move into leadership or that you're going to r- run for this so that in six years you can run for that. If you're doing any of that, you're doing the wrong you got to go. Yeah. Because this this ambitious sort of careerism uh, is, is is worthless. Right. To, to, in, for service. Yeah. Like you have to feel like you want to do the service of your constituency or your community, your neighborhood, whatever it is. And yeah, like that, that careerism, that ambition, when I see that, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that people have political skills, Yeah. but, um, but if, but when I see it turn towards a sort of careerist sort of corporate thing, it's a, it's a huge turnoff for me. And what's funny about it is that multiple people told me that I was jumping the line and that's what I should have been doing is that I should have been starting at the school board. And then working my way up. And I'm like, no. Why do you want, if you want, why would you want someone on your school board who doesn't want to be there, who sees that as a stepping stone to the next job? What are they going to do for your school? Like, there are people who want to be on the school board. And that's what drives their passion. And that's the difference they want to make. Those are the people we should be running for school board. We shouldn't say that school board is a stepping stone to state rep, which is a stepping stone to state senate, which is a stepping stone to whatever. Like, that's not they are all very different jobs and they are all four very different people. So being told that I was like jumping the line and that I should have started lower, one again, not the not what's passionate what I'm passionate about, not the change I want to make. And two, if we push people through the exact same experience uh train where it's like this is where you're supposed to go, you're going to get the same people out the other end. Yeah, this that's a perfect point because when I have this conversation with 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 people, I say the same thing. What you're saying is, you know, if you want to do years of party work mm-hmm. or come up through the thing, basically it's them saying, "We're going to train you in the ways that we do it." And so at the end, you actually don't you do look anything. Like everybody else who's come out that end. Right. Like the, the what we're fighting against is that exact idea. Mm-hmm. We do not want a factory of status quo neoliberal horseshit politicians. Right. Like we want people who have a passion to be on the city council, or have a passion to be on a school board. Yes. Who have a passion to be a state senator. Right. Or have a passion to be a U.S. senator, or have a passion to fight the U.S. senator because they're <laughs> bad or right. whatever. Right. Like like. There's no like I'm going to get an entry level job like that's not it's not how that works. No. And people are man they they really think it's how it works. No, they think it's how it <laughs> works and and I'll remind you that the job description does not say that. You know, I basically have to live here and be 30 like and be elected. Yeah, there's <laughs> a reason that the job yeah, there's a reason that legally the the uh, qualifications are so low because it it's supposed to look like now, of course, they put all of these mm-hmm. qualifications on after it, mm-hmm. but it's supposed to look like anybody should be able to do this. Right. If you convince enough people, they, right. they, they want you to work for them and, and represent their interests, wherever that is, you just go do that. Exactly. But yeah, they don't want, the, just, they're very uh, low tolerance for that. Right. 
Because there's no control over someone who hasn't come through your machine. Correct. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big move. Yeah. It's a heroic move. <laughs> it's funny. A lot of people say thank you to me, and I almost don't know what to do with that because I'm like, no, thank you. Like, particularly the people who are volunteering, and if I'm meeting them for the first time, like, like, thank you for running. And I'm just like, thank you for being here and giving up hours of your life to make phone calls or be out literally in the freezing cold, knocking on people's strangers' doors and like talking to them about me. Like, it's a very, that has been a weird experience to have people like thank me for it. <laughs> yeah, like, I think it has to do with um, movements need a leader. Like Bernie. Mm -hmm. I mean, I bring everything back to Bernie. But, but maybe we'll talk <laughs> about that a little bit. But, but like, yeah, movements need a leader. Like, um, there's nothing funnier to me. And you see this. I mean, we saw it more when it happened. But you still see it a little bit. <clears throat> so when uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar and Jayapal and all of these folks, when they uh, endorsed uh, Bernie. <clears throat> And people are like, well, why would they endorse an old white man? Uh, That's not what it's about. Right. It's about having a lead. It's a movement. Right. That doesn't matter. Right. People don't get that. Like, they're still kind of stuck on this idea. Yeah. But it's everybody together. Like, when people realize that we're all for the same thing, that doesn't matter. Nobody. The, the best thing about identity politics in our movement is that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's irrelevant. Or, or that it's more about, again, the lens through which you've had experiences yes. that layer on to the policies that we put forward and believe in. That it's not just like, I kind of have reusing some of my own material here, but like if you put a woman in charge of the Department of Corrections and the Department of Corrections continues to abuse people who are imprisoned, put people in horrible conditions, do all of the things that are wrong with mass incarceration in our country, that is not a, we can't champion that. We don't celebrate that. I'm not proud that a woman is running that department. Now, if a woman wants to change that department and fix the way it's run, decarcerate people, shut down prisons, sure, I'm proud to see that, but it's not because of her being a woman. Maybe she's had an experience as a woman that has made her recognize that our prison system needs to change. But that's not the only reason that we want her in that position. If you put, if you install people who are more representative of the broader community and in, in the same systems of power without changing those systems, you're not actually doing anything. Yeah, and it certainly does help because more maybe maybe you people say, well, there are more people that have that perspective because they they come from that um, situation and those mm -hmm. circumstances. But that's that's wholly irrelevant. To me. Yeah, I mean, more representative police hasn't made policing different. No, black police are racist. People don't get it, but it's like not the person. It's not the person. It's not the it's person. Yeah, it's just like they're they're exercising a a, a racist thing. Uh, you know, to me, it's not that complicated, but people really seem to struggle with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really your perspective, and yeah, like what. You know what you really believe. Mm -hmm. So speaking of what you really believe, mm -hmm. um, what one of the things I was very um, and you and I were there together last night at the Leftward uh, Working yeah. Families Party uh, 
sort of get together and meet and greet with a bunch of candidates. And one of the things um, that I really was impressed with is that every candidate from Larry Lambert to Medina to Kobe is able to differentiate themselves uh, from their opponent mm -hmm. and say, look, this is what I believe. This is where I'm coming from. This is why I'm part of this movement with everybody. And this is why it's different from what we're doing. So I think it's pretty easy to differentiate yourself from Chris Coons, but um, what has been, when, when, when you're asked, you know, what's the difference, what do you generally go to? What's, what seems to have resonance with people mm -hmm. um, when you speak with them to say, you know, you could be represented a little bit differently like this? Yeah. At the highest level, it's that I believe that we can have a country that works for every single one of us and that no one has to struggle to survive in. And that right now, instead, we have a system that works really well for people who are already wealthy and already powerful and everyone else is struggling. And the ways that I think Chris Coons perpetuates that system is that he legislates in favor of corporations over people regularly and that is typically influenced by the donations that he receives so i intend very intentionally draw the difference that i am not taking money from any corporations i'm taking money solely from people because i don't want to be beholden to any corporations those are not the people that i want showing up at my door asking for things he also facilitates trump's agenda he goes out and he will tweet and he'll talk about how everything that trump is doing is terrible and yet he'll vote to confirm the judges that Trump is pushing through. He'll vote to confirm cabinet secretaries that Trump has appointed simply because he says they're qualified. And when I look at some of these judges, we're talking about judges who have like bad records on civil rights, bad records on women's rights, um, are actually working to repeal the very things that Chris Coons says he report he supports, like Roe v. Wade, like the ACA. So. I can't square that. I don't quite understand how you can stand up and say that this person is unfit, uh, a uh, president who should not be our president, and yet also vote for the things that he wants, like military spending, like trade deals, like all of the things that are making the lives of everyday Delawareans worse. And one of the kind of final points is that he fails to put forward any ideas that are big enough and bold enough to actually face the crises that we are facing as a country. When I'm talking about wealth inequality, we are at a point where wealth inequality in our country is basically at like gilded age levels. And he's outwardly says that raising the minimum wage to $15 is too high. In rural Delaware, $15 would be too much. We know that's not even true. Like we know just to afford an apartment in our state, you need to make at least $22 an hour. He fails to recognize, well, I'll say he, he says he recognizes the crisis of climate change. However, he literally laughs at the concept of a Green New Deal and says it's wild-eyed and instead puts forward a carbon tax. A carbon tax maybe would have made a difference in the 90s. That is not a serious proposition at the point where we're at. So he likes to say he's pragmatic and he's principled, but pragmatism is actually supporting a Green New Deal and getting ourselves completely divested from fossil fuels. 
he says that, well, now he's saying healthcare is a human right, which is really interesting. Um, however, does not follow through with policy. Um, doesn't believe in Medicare for all. Again, I would argue sound pragmatic policy. Something just came out this week that said every year it would save 68,000 lives and $450 billion. If that to me is pragmatic. That's the sound policy. That is not the radical position. That's the right position. He stands against all of the things that we believe are rights. Healthcare, housing, education. He believes that the concept of free education, quote unquote, is giving things away. He said that we can't be the party of free stuff. However, he's fine with voting to give us free war, free border wall. And instead, what he says is that if your parents happen to not be wealthy enough to let you go to college debt free, well, then you can earn it by doing national service. And I completely disagree. You don't have to earn the right to go to college debt free because I didn't earn it. I came out of college without debt. I didn't earn it. My parents happened to make enough money, but they took out loans that the, and they chose to cover those loans for me. And I am greatly appreciative of that. But I didn't earn that. And I'm sure he didn't either. And I'm sure that most of the people in his family didn't either. Of course not. So why, by the luck of birth, have I earned something? I completely disagree with that. Yeah, it's a fundamental structural question. Um yeah, I mean, that's why it's so important to convince people that that's really what it is. Um, you said it earlier, like there has to be, ha in, a, in a capitalist system, there has to be mm -hmm. has and have nots. Yeah, and he fundamentally so if there's believes have nots, that. Right, correct. He fundamentally believes people should be poor. He fundamentally believes that, um, I wrote this down because you said this and I think it's profound. There's no reason for anyone in this society to struggle and suffer. No, we're the wealthiest country in the world. It's absolutely correct. There's absolutely no reason for it's it. It's indefensible. It's indefensible. And so if your politics is about kind of saying, yeah, I see all of this shitty stuff, but sort of shrug and be like, I, I don't know. Or we know. can like make it a little better for them, but they're still going to be poor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a fundamental problem. Right. Um, and again, like you said, pe people, uh, they, they believe that their, their privilege and what they got, they earned mm -hmm. and there's no sort of feeling goes back to the individual thing. Yeah. It's all about right. this individual right. idea, which right. is false. It's not true, but people feel like they did everything in a vacuum mm -hmm. and it's just to their benefit. Yeah. You know, so obviously Chris Coons would want to you know, uh, recycle the same process that, you know, allowed his, allowed him to go to uh, Amherst and Yale mm -hmm. and allowed his kids to go to Friends or Tattnall, wherever they went, and allowed him to marry a, 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 a Gore uh, heiress. Like, of course he's going to be like, well, that's a good system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good system for you. Right. Right. And, I, you know, I talked to voters about that, like, he can't be the person to change the system because he doesn't see it as broken. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it that's works the thing. just you have fine to... for him and everyone he knows. And what they, again, the, people are fine with doing charity because a lot of people see that as a feather in their cap and the way that they 
show kindness. And I, I'm grateful there are people who do that, but I would much rather have a conversation of like, how do we get rid of the need for you to have to be charitable? Yeah, and there's not even the need for people to be charitable, I think, has to do with just being able to sleep at night because a lot of things happen. I can't sleep at night. And so people do charity to try to be like, well, I did this, so I'm, I'm good. And I simply don't believe that. Um, talked about this before. Like in, individual intervention mm-hmm. uh, is nice for you, the individual, to feel better. Sort of like recycling. This is the, 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 I know it's a very like facile sort of uh, example, but <clears throat> everyone should recycle because it shows like I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to, you know, do, but like everybody re- doesn't really mean anything. No, just especially your, now that we apparently aren't actually recycling well, anything. That, <laughs> now, now that we realize it actually does, we're not really doing it right, anyway. So, but, but it's just an example of like this individual um, show is not. Like only systemic structural intervention is going to address societal, cultural, these kind of problems. Yeah. And I'm tired of being offered Band-Aids and I'm tired of being told what we can't do. It's also, uh, just to jump in here, uh, it's sort of a second level of dependence that the rich try to give to the working class. So you already need to go to them to get a job. Yep. You already need them to do all the stuff. And then- Let's say you aren't making enough money because you're not working $15 an hour. You're working seven twenty-five or in Delaware, like nine twenty-five. Now you have to go back to them again mm-hmm. to their charities where they control everything. And yeah. most of them aren't even like, you know, they have like 80% administrative costs. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they give out pennies to the actual people they're helping. But it's just another layer of dependence. And people don't see, for, for some reason, people argue about government programs oh that's we're getting we're making people too dependent but then when we do the same thing with charity where it's controlled all by the rich that's not the same same thing we pat them on the back for it yeah so if we actually have programs that lift people up they give them the baseline that they need that's not dependence that's like if um you know if your parents pay for your college for example you're not i mean you are to a certain extent dependent on them but that is giving you a base to jump off from if we're giving people basic needs, that's a base to jump off from. If we're only offering them charity, if we're offering them humanitarianism, we're not offering them the ability to actually rise up from that. It keeps them in those same conditions. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's the point. I mean, nothing makes me more upset than you know, hearing, oh, this person gave, you know, oh, this this oligarch it's gave ten week. million dollars to this thing. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's what all was fake. it this week? It was Bezos, Bezos is gonna give ten billion to, to fix climate change. And yeah, it's like, then why do we have to give four and a half million dollars for them to put a fucking <laughs> warehouse on Boxwood Road? Exactly. If he can give twenty billion dollars to climate change, why the fuck are we on the hook for four and a half billion million dollars uh you know, over in Price's Corner? And what is he going to do? Because he's again to Carl's point about having control over that he's going to be able to make every decision about like how that money gets used. Well, I mean, this is a thing. This is the Bloomberg thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where he was able to, he's able, he's able to spread out this money through nonprofits and be able to grant these people that, you know, people money. I mean, this is why it's the Bill Gates thing. Yeah. It's the Bill Gates thing. It's the same thing. You know, if we want to, if we want to have Bezos, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett and, and, and uh, Mike Bloomberg run the country, then I mean, 
I mean, I'm not going to stand for it. No. But it feels so close, <laughs> especially with Mike Bloomberg. I mean, I mean, he's basically calling in favors right now. Look, and that's why all these endorsements are coming out. It's like you can follow the the dollars. Of course, <laughs> I mean, that, this is the thing. This is why I um, and I guess it'll be out by the time we 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 do this one. But I cut like a, a an opening about I'm not voting for Bloomberg, and as a matter of fact, no. if Bloomberg was a nominee, I'm gonna I'm going to actively lobby people to leave the line blank yeah i think that's really a, a dangerous nomination i think he has some of the same instincts as donald trump and he's the an authoritarian he's, as an, donald he's trump. an oligarch he's authoritarian i mean what's the difference and he's more he, competent correct correct and and, and again, he, had, my, he's, my, he has better table manners he's less crude that's what we're going to accept and also he doesn't and he's not right if you look at any <laughs> of the quotes from him just put right. donald trump at the end and people would believe it yeah yeah i mean it's he's true a, I mean, yeah, I mean, speaking of some of the, and this is sort of where I'm from, because I come from the professional corporate environment too, um, but back, and I know I, I did it for 24 years, so going even back into the 90s, I saw some pretty cruel, sexist, disgusting stuff. And he's been doing that for years and years and years. But again, nobody really cares because they're like, well, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, an, that's an establishment sort of yeah. sort of move i think it gets back to this like i don't know it, it feels like such a wave of desperation of people just being like how do we get rid of donald trump and failing to realize what created donald trump and instead just looking for like a seemingly nicer version of trump like like you don't need a racist billionaire to beat another racist billionaire that's not gonna do anything for anyone no and well, uh, he also was a republican mayor like <laughs> like he I just mean, chooses he a, whatever party he thinks will serve him best I mean, and that's what he's right doing to us line. right now yeah i mean he like, he was able to pay bribes in new york and uh, Mike Bloomberg, feel free to um, to sue me. I would love to go to court and do discovery. Oh, you don't want to say allegedly? <laughs> no, no, he did this. No, I, feel free. I'm I'm open to a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. I would love discovery um, to yeah. get all of your documents. <laughs> uh, so feel free to uh, to sue me. Um, yeah, I mean, he paid bribes to change the law in New York to run for a third term. Right. And, and not only that, to be like, to be like, no, there, you can get a third term, but only I can get a third exactly. term. Exactly. If that's like, not authoritarianism. The guy's a fucking maniac. <laughs> like, like, the guy's a fucking maniac. Yeah. Read what he, read what some of the things he said to women that he worked mm -hmm. with, or some of the things he said to women. He's been on Epstein's plane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The guy's a disgusting no. pig. That's and, not. And, that's not who we should be turning to. Correct. And and I guess you know when 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 oligarchs and capitalists turn to that. To try to like, at, to try to have authoritarian but sta stable authoritarian yeah. who's like smart, yes. rather than authoritarian right. who's a, a, a fucking moron. Right. Um, it, then, then it's, it's illegitimate. The choice is yeah. now illegitimate. Exactly. And so I don't see how I don't see how I could participate in something that's illegitimate. It it upsets me how I feel like so many people are just looking for this like all powerful father figure to like tell them what to do like and that's what i feel like it comes down to like they just want like someone who's going to kind of be authoritarian like i think people actually 
I don't know. I'm going out on a limb here. I, but I, I, it, it's troubling to me because it's like, why do you just want someone who has all of these authoritarian tendencies to, to and to give them power when that's what we're living with right now? What well, What's driving that? Just because you think he can win and beat the other guy who he's just like? Like, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I draw a lot of parallels with your race, to be honest with you. It's this idea that, well, the newspaper told me Chris Coons did this thing. He was in the county council and he did this and did that. So I guess that's fine. They just do what people, uh, people like to do what they're told to do. Yeah. No, you're right. And so they've been told that this is sort of how it works and they don't expect anything different this is why solidarity in the movement right and that's so why actually empowering everybody people to, to make them feel like they have a say yes, in this is so yes. important you don't have to lay down for this exactly and that's what voting for michael bloomberg would bloomberg would be that would, would be it, like laying down it's also what voting for chris coons would be in my opinion yeah obviously i agree <laughs> I'm biased. (laughs) But I think that's a huge part of our campaign has been talking to people about his record because people do not have time to pay attention to every single vote that someone is making in the Senate. And it's much easier to see what they say on TV or what they say in an email or what they tweet and put on Facebook, which always is through the lens of saying the right thing. And he's very good at saying the right thing, but he's often very good at making the wrong vote. And that has been a huge part of the conversations we're having, particularly with people who are say things like, oh, I liked Chris. Why are you running against him? And I'm like, well, these are the reasons. And then I get a lot of people saying like, oh, I guess I have to like do my homework. I didn't know any of those things. Yeah, because the idea he's just the figurehead. You use like the father figure. Or whatever. I mean, I, know. I hate to I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I mean, I hate to say it, but you're not you're not wrong. Um, yeah. People are like, well, he's the guy saying the thing on television. So it must be right. Mm-hmm. Like I, I see him saying the thing. I mean, he doesn't like what's happening. I'm like, well, what did he do? I have no idea. What he right. Did. He told like, me what that did he, he didn't like it though. Yeah. I mean, he showed up in his pink hat to the women's march. So I, I is that good? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like they don't know. Yeah. So it's, it's all like, just like signaling the right thing, but taking the wrong actions. Correct. It's, it's a perfect corporate idea of like, I know how to present myself as what I am. But then when I go back here and make my decisions, I make my decisions based on what I know I need to do. Right. I need to, you know, if somebody's qualified, you know, whether they're like, here, here, we've talked about this, like, <laughs> you're a partisan. You're supposed to represent people's partisan views. Like, I don't care if the guy is a, is a Rhodes Scholar. If he's a Nazi, tell him to fuck off. Right. Like he Coons thinks, and and I we're using Coons because you're here, but th- that that kind of politician thinks that their job is to well, if this is went, if we went through the proper procedure, then I guess we, we have to vote yes. Right? No. Right? You don't. Like, you don't. like it's a process. It's not argument. a process. You're supposed to represent fucking people. <laughs> right. Right. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. And like the guy might have so the guy went to Stanford on, and right. he, he did this thing and yeah. he, this guy I went to Yale Look at the with resume. this guy and the guy called me on the phone. He said this guy's clerked for fucking so and so and Judge Dick the do so you know, <laughs> whatchamacallit. So I mean we have to I mean, just for the for the sanctity of the Senate, mm-hmm. I need to do this. Mm-hmm. There's no sanctity of the Senate. No. There isn't any. That doesn't exist. It's yeah. fake. And it's all phony. And he is of the mind that like Republicans are gonna have an epiphany. That like this this Trumpism is a is a moment and they're gonna come back. They're gonna wake up and be like, Oh, we we should move back toward 
toward Democrats. I, I don't believe that's going to happen. I think that is a fool's errand. <laughs> no, and again, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's like, yeah, I mean, because I mean, Chris Kearns is not stupid. He knows that what he did is a direct, his, his whole career as a politician, the way that he's um, handled himself and the things that he's done has directly created the conditions to give us Donald Trump, mm-hmm. to give us uh, authoritarian sort of uh, fascistic, uh, right? whatever it is. So, but... Because people are looking for an enemy. Correct. And, but, 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 you know, he's not going to say, oh, by the way, everything I've done for the last six years actually created the conditions to do this. Mm-hmm. He's got to say, well, I don't even know what's happening right now. This is crazy. Yeah. He knows exactly what's happening. Right. This is not complicated. Right. At all. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what translates to the votes that I have the biggest problem with. Of, again, like, there's things that are happening in our state that are a direct result of Chris Coons receiving tens of thousands of dollars from the National Chicken Council and then legislating in favor of all of these poultry processing plants in our state that are poisoning people that are he've rolled back regulations on their emissions and now there are people who have poison wells who can't drink their water and they're not showing up for those people and helping them out they're sitting back and saying nothing because the company that's poisoning those people is also lining their pockets that is a complete conflict of interest like you are representing the people not the corporation. Yeah, Why it, is that so hard for people to understand? I, I understand the corporation operates in your state. I understand the corporation creates jobs. I'd argue those aren't great jobs and people are getting and hurt. Let's, we're not even going to go down that. We're not going to go down that road that, like, that road about creating jobs because that's no. a whole never that's a whole different and, story. I don't even I'm not I don't even buy that no. actually. And corporations are always oriented toward profit. You don't need to help them. You don't need to incentivize a corporation to make money. That's all they want to do. So why do you need to then also legislate in their favor? That's the last type of entity that you need to protect. Yeah, I mean, it's a thing where, um, I mean, as you said, um, they're part of, they're part of that system. They, they, they're, they are there to perpetuate that. They make money off of that. Yeah, yeah, they don't care. They would, they would rather, they would rather, uh, you know, a factory farm in Sussex County that processes chickens be successful and be able to hire, you know, 200 people at slave wages um, and poison the town than do anything else because that just perpetuates everything that's going on. They're they're not there there to stop that. People are so fearful that they'll leave. We won't have those jobs. And it's like, well, one, do you want them? They are artificially keeping wages down. They're not great conditions for people to work in. And two, I think what actually attracts jobs, if that's what you're so concerned about, is having strong communities, well-educated people, like public transportation so people can get to your job. Like when you actually invest in building a community out, that's what makes it attractive. Not how much money can we fork over to this company to bribe them to come here. Because we've done that quite a bit. I think we gave AstraZeneca something like $200 million, if not more. We gave 
$21 million to Fisker Automotive, something that literally never came to fruition. Like we've done this over and over and it hasn't worked. So I feel like maybe Fisker Automotive was going to use the old GM plant. They were. That we're now going to give $4.5 million <laughs> so we, to Amazon. So we're going to put $25 million into that place and get nothing out of it. Well, before yeah. before we before we cut it off, let's um, just briefly talk about foreign policy because oh for for two reasons. <laughs> Don't worry, we're yeah. on the same page here. <laughs> um, for, for two reasons, really, though, because um, number one, I, it's important because the, the, the Senate position will have a, yeah. a, a sort of a purview over that. Uh, but number two, you know, this movement. Um, of solidarity and sort of a people's movement is international, in my opinion. Agreed. And so being able to sort of express solidarity with a movement in, say, Brazil or uh, in, you know, wherever in, in, in uh, Lebanon or, or whatever, I think is extremely important. Um, Ireland, Sinn Féin. Mm. Hopefully, I'm trying to get somebody in here about that because I'm very, very happy about what's happened in Ireland. Look it up. Um but yeah, what are your general feelings about, um, I, you know, I'll give you five minutes, but so it's like trade, uh, wars, uh, give me your two minute <laughs> thing on the, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, like I, I guess sort of trade policy and sort of military intervention, um, just foreign policy in general, like what, what's your feel for it? What, where do you think you, you can differentiate yourself uh, you know, with with Coons, sort of what's your general philosophy in how to deal with some of these uh, the foreign international relations issues? Yeah. I think that our trade policy as well as our military industrial complex are both oriented, much like all the things we're talking about, towards making people at the very top wealthy and harming everyone else. Um when the USMCA was finalized, I sent a email to our entire federal delegation asking them to vote against it. Um, none of them said they were going to do that. And the emails I got back <clears throat> included estimates of creating 176,000 jobs, which is a slow month of growth in, an average, in our economy right now, and $68 billion in additional GDP. So I don't know the math off the top of my head, but I think if that were going to those workers that were getting that job, that would be like very well-paid jobs. And I don't think that's where that money's going. You that's can rest, going rest to, assured it's not going. Exactly. No. It's going to big ag and big industry. And again, continuing to line the pockets of the most wealthy people. And I know that there were better provisions for working conditions and worker pay that were put in there, but... I don't trust that they can actually be fulfilled or enforced. And I think the same goes for our international and military policy. Um, Chris Coons was championing going to war with Iran just a few months ago. Just this week when Donald Trump was talking about pulling troops out of Afghanistan, Chris Coons' response was that, I think we need to stay there until there's peace. I don't know what that means. We've been there half my life. Like, what is peace? What are we trying to accomplish? We stay there. We continue to harm, to your point, poor and working class people in international countries. 
and we make more money for every single person who is an executive at a defense company or a defense contractor, manufacturing, whatever that is. Um, I completely believe that we need to pull troops out of all of the places that we are in the Mideast right now. Like, we should have never been in Iraq and we should be home. We need to get out of Afghanistan again. Half my life we've been there. And there are people who are there who like weren't alive when we first went. And these are wars for oil and resources. They are not for anything else. So when you say you're trying to get to peace, there's a reason that's meaningless because you're not fighting for peace. You're fighting for resources. Um, I think there's a really clear distinction between the way that I see the rest of the world and Chris Coons does. I don't see it as places that we should be colonizing or building empires in. We should be respecting the sovereignty of every other country in the world. So you're um, you're not going to uh, to recognize who's the who's the uh, Venezuelan person? Guaido. The, Guaido. You're not going to recognize Juan Guaido. No. What a fucking joke that is. That's a complete joke. Like it's funny that not we keep trying. A, it. Yeah, like I, I don't understand how we keep doing this. I feel like he's going to get the next job on the View. <laughs> Why is he in our country so often? I don't know. Like he's only well because he's only recognized. <laughs> he's he's actually recognized as the president of Venezuela only in the United States and Canada. <laughs> when he goes to Venezuela, they all want to assassinate him, right? Because he's a he's a jag off. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, that's I, I think people people need to really start paying attention to things like that because we don't need uh you don't need we don't need a uh you know a. a a, a base in Djibouti. No, with, we don't need with with a hundred Navy SEALs. Could you imagine if we any other country posted up in ours and we're like, we're just gonna leave this here? Yeah, we don't need we don't <laughs> need it. We don't need a CIA secret army trying to install Juan Guaido. Uh, we don't need that. The only reason we have that is because a bunch of rich people don't like the fact that you know they're gonna nationalize somebody's banana farm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, I, that's really the concept, and I think you you, know, yeah. you and I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming in. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So, folks, uh, Jess Green, uh, JessForDelaware.com. Is that right? Yeah, I nailed it. Thank God. <laughs> um, at Jess for Delaware. Yes. Twitter. Twitter. Instagram. Instagram. Facebook. It's all that. Yes. Um, the, 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 the minimum, uh, the maximum donation is, is, is only like $3,000. 2,800. 20, I mean, I discount. Mean, look. Send three thousand dollars. No, that that gives me a headache. I got to refund it. Come two. on. I was just going to say send as Come much on. as you can, and we'll just refund them. But okay, send <laughs> send the twenty. Look, it's twenty eight hundred dollars. Just send deal. the money to Jess. She needs the money. Right. I'm trying to do this. I mean, my opponent had more than three million dollars in the bank before I even got in the race. <laughs> Come on. I mean, <laughs> help us out here. Kick in. <laughs> um, but there's also you can also volunteer though, and that is. I'm, oh, I'm sorry, am I no, no, do it, do it. No, I was going to make the same point, but you do it. We have more than a hundred people who are like volunteering on this campaign. That seems insane to me. Like people who've made a phone call, knocked a door, have written opinions on policy, like just helping us out in some way, doing research, whatever that is. So you could be one of those people. You can go to justfordelaware.com/volunteer and sign up to do that. If you can't give money, there's always a way to help. Yeah, and I will tell you, no matter what, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to be in the movement, if you believe this kind of stuff, there's always a way to help. As you said, you can go knock a door, you can help send text messages, you uh, 
you probably should just give money if you have any money to give. Yeah. But there's so many ways to help to join the movement because it is a movement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jess and I were with a bunch of candidates last night. Um, you know, we've talked to a lot of candidates in here. Uh, we talk. You know, it, it's a it's it's a movement. Everybody's got to get together on this um, because otherwise we're going to be in deep deep trouble. Yeah. Deep trouble. Yeah. We have to stand up for ourselves, and we have to do it together. I mean, we're the people who work and create the wealth of this country. We deserve things in return for that. Goddamn right. Folks, www.patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker, at Highlands Bunker on Twitter. We would really like a patronage, you know? I mean... After you we, give a donation after, to me, Look, once you, give the tw- once you give the $2,800 to Jess... <laughs> You know, give give me five dollars a month. <laughs> Patreon.com. And Bill does too. Yeah, look at that. You know, that household's <laughs> fucking that household is bearing a burden that a lot of you people are not bearing. Yeah. This is are you not getting the message? We're trying to spread out. Yeah, we're trying to it's a movement, and by a movement we mean more people need to give us money. Um So yeah, yeah, him Harris is a um, is a political prisoner and we gotta get him out. We're going to be talking about that a lot more in here. Um, it's, it's, you know, we talked about Lula, but the fact of the matter is we have one right near here and we should be doing a lot more and we should be making a lot more noise um, to help you, Harris. So keep that in mind, folks. Jess, thank you again for coming thank in. Thank you. Uh, vote uh, September 15th. That's it. September 15th in the, in the primary. Jess Grain. Um, if you're who, not a registered Democrat. You can become one by May 29th. By May 20th, please. Right, I know. Look, I get it. Look, I we all get it. <laughs> uh, we were talking about this last night. You guys didn't hang out for the beers, but like, I don't, I don't want to be a Democrat either. I get that. Be a Democrat. We need to. This is a movement. You have to do things that maybe until you don't. We, until we burn down the system, we have to work inside of it. <laughs> yes, we don't. Look, everybody knows. We like. I don't want to be a Democrat either. <laughs> everybody knows this. Register as a Democrat. Uh, we can really make a difference if we all get together in this. Look to your left, look to your right, fight for somebody you don't know. Because um, we're we're in dire straits here, and um, we need to start we need to start making moves. So um, donate to Jess, donate to the other Democratic challengers, everybody from leftward, and uh, and jump in this fight. We need you for real, for real, real, mm-hmm. for real. So. Left is best, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.